Welcome to the Defiant Business Podcast. A business podcast produced by Defy the Status Quo for forward-thinking businesses and savvy professionals looking to defy the status quo of mediocre customer experiences, barely surviving businesses, and haphazard business development. We'll explore best marketing and sales practices, improving business processes, attracting your ideal clients or customers, striking your perfect work-life balance, business basics, intentional inclusion in business, and so much more. Thank you for joining me today. Let's do this. Yes, I am very excited for this episode, tearing the data apart. I was in one of Dr. AJ's webinars, and she said that that phrase, disaggregate the data to find intersectionalities. And I was like, yes, that's that's it. That's it right there. I have a ton of data minded people in my network. And I'm like, this is this is a great topic. So just to kind of get the ball rolling. What types of things, so I'd like to start with the value, right? So what types of things do you find when you disaggregate data? Well, on a high level, when you disaggregate the data, like you actually find that people are far more diverse than you realize. And that diversity is not being included and it's not getting a voice, um, and what I mean by that is, for instance, Asian Americans are aggregated into Asian Americans. And they say Asian American men actually have a higher median income than white men and that Asian American men are on par with white men for or, or that Asian Americans are on par with white people for leadership. They are only talking about a very, very specific subset of Asian American men who are not actually on par with white people because these are Asian American men who have at least 1.5 degrees more than white, their white counterparts. So when you control for that, you actually realize that people who are more qualified are getting paid on the same level. But the aggregation of the data misses that point. It also misses the point that when we talk about Asian Americans, there is not that much representation in Asian American women's leadership. Asian American women are still tokenized. And on top of that, let's break apart this umbrella term Asian American. Because I was just as, about to say that. That covers a lot of people, doesn't it? Right? As Asian Americans, this was a term that was put on us by the white mainstream America. We don't identify as Asian American. I don't go around saying I'm Asian American. I'm Indian American. That is right, my cultural yeah. identity. You know, and Asian American yeah, represents 80 plus white, countries. Right. Okay, if you want to talk about Asian American, Asian American representation, how many Nepalese people do you have? How many Burmese people do you have? How many Bangladeshis do you have? How many Sri Lankans do you have? How many Micronesians do you have? What about the different genders? What about their, you know, nationality and immigration status? What about their education level? Are they married or not? What about their sexual orientation, which by EEOC standards, you're not supposed to ask, yet we still find that nearly 47% of people hear bisexual jokes. 
as jokes in the workplace, and 33% gay and lesbian jokes as yeah, if they're we're not jokes. Yeah, talk about gender and sexual Exactly. Like, something like 68% of the American workforce thinks that somebody's sexual orientation is something that's completely irrelevant to their workplace. But sure, joke about it. You don't know who you're hurting. What? You know, and then what about the fact that hetero, you know, heteronormative people can sit there and talk about, oh, I did this with my kids and I did this with my husband and I did this and da da da. What if somebody is in a polyamorous relationship? What space do they have to talk about their partners? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what judgments would they face? Uh, quite a few, quite a few. When you disaggregate the data, these are the truths that come out of it. Data aggregation in aggregating makes the visible invisible or the invisible even more hidden. And so that's why we absolutely need to disaggregate the data if we want to get to the reality of what our employees' lives are so that we can meet their needs where they are to help them thrive. So what's the fight, you know, kind of between the legality of asking someone, you know, these types of questions, you know, asking about their ethnicity versus, you know, legal compliances from EEOC? Well, so that's the thing, right, is EEOC standards keep changing, but EEOC standards are also being dictated by those from outside of these marginalized groups. The, the majority of the leaders who are making these decisions, the majority of the leaders who are making these policies are still educated, affluent white men. And they don't understand the reality of the intersectionalities of other people's lives. That because of the way all of these factors intersect in somebody's lives, their lived experiences are very unique and very different. That's what it is in, when you talk about EEOC versus like asking these questions. In the 1950s and 60s, Asian Americans, again, this whole umbrella term was just other. And it wasn't, I think, until 2010, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Native Hawaiians were all in one group. Our needs are very different. Yeah, those are some very disparate cultures and everything. <laughs> Languages, yeah. cultures, you name it. Yeah, exactly. So where, like, compliance is actually several steps behind. Compliance is the bare minimum to be politically correct. But we need to go past that political correctness. We need to go to what people's needs are in order to be able to really move the needle toward inclusion again. It really boils down to disaggregating the data and like looking at the data. Aggregate it after you disaggregate it. No problem. You know what I mean? But like, do everything both. you can from it. Though. Exactly. Do both. Do both. Get everything you can from it because nothing else is going to do justice. And there's a lot, right? Like there's a lot we can learn from the data and the subsets of data. You know, as a as a former government worker, you know, I'm always thinking about ways that information can be used, right, from an analytical perspective. It's possible, though, that all of the aggregated data, and it's always possible, but it could be used, you know, for unethical uses. So when you're working with your clients, like, are there particular steps that you counsel them on in order to avoid these unethical uses or even just PR disasters as it 
as it comes out sometimes, you know, people who just slap these diversity photos up on their website, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that still happens, not even in unethical ways, right? This actually yeah. happens ethically, legally. When you talk about organizational culture, artifacts are a huge part of that, right? And artifacts mean mm -hmm. all the posters you see, the mugs, the cute little mugs you get, the cute little hats you get. All the posters will have like diversity representation and like smiling people of all colors and, you know, some kind of like a catchy phrase and blah, blah, blah. But what is the reality of the interactions in that workspace as these poster ch children, literally, are looking on to these interactions? You know, are these poster children even being included in day-to-day -day interactions? Right. So those type of things, in terms of the ethics of it, it, it can get tricky, but not really. Because again, when you tap into that need to belong, and when you tap into that innate need for equity, think about it. You have four kids. I have a kid. When was a, like, what was the earliest that your kid said, that's not fair, mom? Ooh, that's tough because I feel like even my two-year-old, even though she's never said that it's not fair, she certainly acts like it's not fair, you know. So. Even a two-year-old knows what she needs for a situation to be equitable to her. Oh, my husband asked me just this morning. I gave the kids granola and yogurt in a bowl, and she had one of those yogurt pouches, but my husband was like, you should probably give her some cereal in a bowl because she's about to notice that she did not also get a bowl. Yep. And she, she's very much like that. <laughs> That's how, that is how young, that is literally how young we are when we realize the sense of fairness. We're in trouble. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that and think about how much we don't tap into that. We laugh when our kids say, that's not fair, mom. That is the innate need for equity. That is the innate need to belong and say, I want what's my fair share. But that somehow gets brainwashed out of us and we conform into these silos because we want that paycheck because we're beholden to our employer because at some point people forgot that companies were actually created for people, not the other way around. Get back okay, to right. that unethical, really tap into your humanity, yeah. tap into that need to belong, tap into the need that that innate need for equity comes from a place of genuine curiosity and vulnerability transparently. Because, again, all of us have not belonged at some point in our lives, and all of us have been treated unfairly, probably even including Ivanka Trump, assuming at some point. That one I'm not sure about, but like the rest of humanity. We've all felt this way. So it's not a matter of ethics. Let's, you know, if, if you are tapping into humanity, why would you think about using that to somebody's detriment. If you are thinking about using that to somebody else's detriment, then you are not coming from a place of curiosity and vulnerability and true leadership. You are coming from a place of greed, insecurity, and God knows what else. Unpack that junk first. Right. Yes. Sounds like some therapy. And you're, the lead magnet you mentioned in the last episode, you actually had something in there about data, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a social psychologist that is, you know, data, data, however you want to pronounce it. 
that's a big component of everything that I do. And that's why I'm able to spout off all of these numbers off the top of my head because these numbers just stick in my head. So I'm like, all right, let me see what I can do with it. So there is a checklist for how to see if your organization actually has inclusive metrics like performance metrics, uh, DEI metrics, and data analytics on the information that you are collecting, and are you using it the right way? One last point about the ethics is if you're in a position where you're thinking, what I'm about to do, is that possibly unethical? Yes. Then the answer is yes. <laughs> if, if, if you have done all of this other work and you've come to that question, take a deeper look at everything you've done because... If, if you've done everything the right way, that question should not come to your mind. If it is coming to your mind, yes. <laughs> right? Like if you're over there looking like the wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> just yes. because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Not a problem. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> okay. Put yourself accountable then, you know, and you're not getting those tasks done. But as you mature as a business, it can, you know, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, a professional, it can seem like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing fine. I, I, I don't need a coach anymore. But if your goal and most of the people I know, their goal is not to just coast along at fine for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, they're still looking up. Mm-hmm. You know, and without a coach, it may take you twice or three times as long to get to that that next level. So that yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, don't want to waste any time. 